I've been a serial entrepreneur all my life. Started, last count, probably about 17 companies. Uh, two of them were universities, actually. My first university was back in the late 80s called the International Space University, which is now a very successful uh, institution based in Strasbourg, France. Um, back in the late 90s, 96, 97, I had read Ray Kurzweil's book, The Singularity is Near, had been thinking about the massive tsunami of technology coming down and realizing that there was no place on the planet I could go to really put my finger on the pulse, not on one technology, but across the board, and really understand how it's converging and how it's impacting every part of life, every part of business. And I said, maybe it's time to create a new institution. Uh, when I had dinner with Ray, I was recruiting him onto my board at XPRIZE Foundation, and he got it right away, and he said yes. And we very quickly launched the university, had a founding event at TED in 2009 in February and launched the first program in the summer. And it's, as a exponential university should be, it's been doubling every year since. And the idea is essentially just kind of getting a lot of smart people in a room and letting them come up with, with companies? Well, the idea is multifold. First of all, it's the notion that there's a very core set of technologies that any CEO needs to understand today and that any kid in the garage, any entrepreneur who wants to make a big dent in the world should have in their repertoire. And those are the technologies that are growing exponentially. They're the technologies riding on the back of Moore's law and computational speed. And so it's, you know, cloud computing, uh, cloud computing, what we might call uh, infinite computing, uh, sensors, networks, AI, robotics, 3D printing, synthetic genomics, digital medicine. It's these groups of technologies uh, that are technologies that used to be only available to the governments and the largest corporations in the world that are now in the hands of entrepreneurs and allow them to take huge swings at the bat. They're also the technologies that entrepreneurs use to go from you know, an idea to running a billion-dollar company in 24 months, and it's the technologies that can be disruptive to Fortune 500 companies. So uh, the idea was create the right educational experiences, and we have four different categories. We have a graduate program for top graduate students. We have an executive program. We have these exponential conferences like the one I'm speaking to you at now, Exponential Finance. And then we have one for Fortune 200 uh, C-suite executives called Innovation Partners Program. And that's one big part of it. The other part is we like to incubate startups. We love spinning out 12 to 20 startups every summer out of our graduate program. And these are startups that use exponential technologies whose mission it is to basically positively impact the lives of a billion people. We call these 10th to the 9th plus startup uh, companies. And um, we have a thing called SU Labs. We build these and our goal is to create huge wealth while creating a world of abundance. You know, I, I you were speaking about it earlier, and I was almost picturing it sort of like this 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 summer camp, you know, of, of a group a group of really smart individuals just breaking off into groups and and coming up with ideas. I mean, does it have that does it have that feeling to it? It has a real true vibrancy. So the programs, the graduate programs, are ten weeks long. They run June, July, and August. We have three thousand plus applicants for eighty spots. 
They all are entrepreneurs. They're demonstrate. They've built something, whether it's a startup project, a lab, an experiment, whatever it is. They've done something. They haven't just been all talk. They're at top of their class, um, or they've distinguished themselves in some in some significant fashion. And uh, they, for the first five weeks, they study all the most powerful technologies on the planet. We just discussed, and then we talk about what are the world's biggest problems. What mm-hmm. are the problems that are affecting billion level people? And um, that's the targeting data. And then we say build a product or service that can impact a billion people in a decade. You know, and I my mantra is that the best way to you know become a billionaire is help a billion people. <laughs> and um, if you can do that, it's a it's a win win. I'm wondering if there's a way in which um, the X Prize and um, Singularity are, are at odds from, from, from the standpoint of. Um, it, it, it sounds, you know, the, one of the sort of key factors behind the X Prize is the, these disruptive technologies, and really, in a sense, kind of working outside of, you know, it started as a way to work outside of these large governmental bureaucratic bodies. Um, while it isn't part of the driving force behind Singularity to sort of teach the companies themselves how to create those disruptive technologies. Yeah, I like to say they're two sides of the same coin. XPRIZE sets the targets, and SU helps find and educate the teams that will compete to solve them. And you've, I mean, you've found that, um, and for obvious reasons, these large corporations are, are pretty hesitant to create something that could potentially you know, disrupt their own jobs. Yeah, I mean, the challenge is, and I say this to all the CEOs I keynote and and consult to or have an IPP, our Innovation Partners Program, I say, you know, the only constant is change. The rate of change is increasing. You either disrupt yourself or someone else will. That's, period, the rule. Uh, Every company will be disrupted in some shape, fashion, or form, right? You've got Windows and you've got, um, you know, Word and Excel Mm -hmm. being disrupted by, you know, Google's products. Uh, You have a constant turnover I was just, you know, talking with Dan Hesse, the CEO of Sprint, and he was saying, you know, 2007, Nokia is the largest phone manu- uh, you know, player in the <laughs> world, and uh, number two is BlackBerry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, where are we six years later? They're yeah. both effectively con. Um, I mean, what rapidity of, of, of changeover is palpable. And there is a stat out of the Olin School of Business that says, you know, in the next decade, 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies will no longer exist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's you know, Darwinian evolution in play. Yeah. Very, very rapid Darwinian yeah. evolution. Yeah. Um, and uh, fragmentation, though, seems to be the direction that, I mean, everything is going in with, you know, as a result of the Internet. I mean, you know, culture. We, we've already seen music go this way um, in a lot of respects. Is 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 that ultimately going to be more more beneficial to have a lot of smaller companies doing the innovation, or should you know is it more beneficial to have innovation in the hands of these really these large multinational corporations? I think that you know true innovation requires taking risk. Uh, I like to say the day before something is truly a breakthrough, it's a crazy idea, mm. and where inside your company, you're inside your organization, your industry, uh, do crazy ideas get tried? Very few do and and so it's really individual small teams that have much more to gain and much less to lose that will take extraordinary risks 
and that's really the culture. And you'll have 99% fail, but if one pulls it off, it's caused a massive disruption. So that's the basis for XPRIZE, the basis for allowing lots of teams in a high-pressure cooker competitive environment to go for it. And uh, within Singular University and our innovation uh, SU labs, it's really giving them an audacious task of impacting a billion people and giving them the most powerful tools and asking them to take a moonshot, so to speak. Um, is I mean, is part of the mission statement behind Singularity to to also open up those resources to everybody? I mean, that's the ideal, right? That everybody has access to that information and the um, not not just the whatever percentage that can actually make their way out to to Mountain View. Yeah, uh, we are a benefit corporation. Our mission is to you know benefit the world on a multitude of dimensions. So we are just now have a big push to take the learnings that we have and uh, put them online so there will be an SU online element for the public, for companies. Uh, there will be obviously the companies that are born, bred, and incubated SU are for attacking the world's biggest problems. So there's a you know a number of dimensions there that we're focused on. Um, I'm wondering how how one becomes a serial entrepreneur and whether that was by design or whether that was something that just kind of happened for you. Um, I just, I guess it's something that has happened. I've always found uh, I have visions of the way the future should be. Mm -hmm. And when it doesn't exist, my reaction is if I care about it enough, I'll go do it. And so zero gravity weightless parabolic flight was something that NASA was doing. I wanted to do it. I couldn't get on NASA's airplane. I said, screw it. I'll do it myself and built a company to go and do weightless flights. Space adventures, planetary resources, most recently Human Longevity, Inc. All these come from a passionate personal desire Mm -hmm. to make these changes in the world. The the idea of going out and and doing it, I guess, is in in some respects different than it used to be, you know, from the standpoint of um, launching these, working to launch these individual companies for these, these individual products. I mean, you know, I, I guess you could have just become kind of the space guy with the space corporation. Sure, I could have. My brand could have just been space, and um, and there was a temptation to remain focused on that. But I think the winning of the X Prize showed me the power of small teams, and the work I was doing with SU showed me how extraordinary the technologies that are coming online. And so I came much more enamored with what are the world's biggest problems and how do we solve them. And I think that there is a a fundamental uh, moral imperative uh, for us to take on the world's biggest problems and to uh, and to solve them. And I think that we now have the abilities to do that. And if we have those abilities, why wouldn't we? Uh, couple that with the fact that, as I like to say, you know, problems are gold mines. Um, they can be mined for extraordinary value, capital value, societal value, and the world's biggest problems, the world's biggest market opportunities. It's 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 such an interesting thing that you know what's ultimately when you really dig down deep enough, what's driving um, these humanitarian efforts are money. Are, you know, is are, are people seeking out money? People are seeking meaning seeking money, 
seeking a number of different things. Understanding what drives somebody is really important. Um, you know, is it the need for certainty, this need for for uh, entertainment, for challenge? We all love to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it the need for significance? Uh, is it the need for retribution, you know, that some shit really hit you hard and vengeance, you, and vengeance yeah, <laughs> that you're going to damn that airline or car company or yeah. whatever that screwed me over, I'm going to show them. I mean, for me, it was... You know, when NASA wouldn't let me on the zero-G airplane, I was like, screw that. I'll do it myself and went out and actually got NASA's zero-G business and took over their operation. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a little bit of, uh, of you know, personal payback there. This, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, but, you know, it seems to me that one of those things driving people is – is excitement you know it's just the excitement of of exploration i mean that's part of what's kept mankind going uh for so long and i'm i'm worried if it's getting harder and harder to get excited about things you know when you're when you're moving from um mining asteroids one day to um you know autonomous cars the next day how do you when you're dealing with all of these just really sort of breakthrough technologies is it possible to be continually excited by things oh yeah oh yeah there's there's endless challenges and they're all hard and they're all meaningful and they're all fun and I pinch myself a lot of times that I can be having very serious conversations with some of the most brilliant you know entrepreneurs investors engineers on the planet about you know extracting fuels or strategic metals from asteroids <laughs> orbiting the sun and then talking about okay how do we you know rewrite the stem cell genome to give you an extra 30 years mm. of human lifespan I mean, we're living during a magic time. We're living during the most extraordinary time ever in human history, and it's an amazing time to be alive. It seems like the key is kind of, you know, diversifying your portfolio. I mean, you talked about that before when you were dealing with, you know, people who went through a Ph.D. program, spent eight years to, you know, um, spend the rest of their lives dealing w- with one very specific part of the human genome. And um, are, are, do we have that ability now to... to um, to work in more spaces than ever before? I think so. But the other thing is all those spaces are converging. Mm. Um, you know, it's – is synthetic genomics, uh, for example, writing genomes a programming language? Mm. Uh, is it – you know, it merges with AI. It merges with uh, with foods and with fuels. It, ma- it merges with a whole range of different things. So, um, so I think, honestly uh, – Every field is merging with every other field in a way that is, uh, you know, for me, you know, I've got two, three-year-old boys at home, and I think about what I want to teach them in this mm. world going forward. And it's help them discover and focus on their passion so that they're passionate about something, and then help them stay curious. And I think those are the two most important attributes going forward in the world, curiosity and passion. And the role you're you're playing in, in this convergence is just putting all these smart people in the same place. I think it's it's uh, my goal is to inspire and guide, right? Inspire and guide on getting humanity off the planet, and inspire and guide on attack the world's biggest problems as business opportunities because it creates extraordinary wealth and creates this world of abundance that I see so clearly and want to help accelerate. I don't think it's a matter; it's going to happen with without me, but if I can accelerate a little bit, so much the better. 
There you go. It was uh, it was Peter Diamandis. One of our one of our you know very very rare mini episodes of RIYL was a was a short one. Uh, but you know P- Peter Diamandis is one of those people that honestly I I, I feel uh, pretty lucky that I was even able to get alone for uh, in, a, in a room for for 15 minutes. Uh, very very busy guy. We recorded that here in New York City. There was a financial conference out here that he was attending. Uh, managed to uh, to to schedule a very very uh, brief one on one interview with him. Uh, Peter, if you're not familiar. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we touched on this during the interview, but he's the uh, the founder and the chairman of the X Prize. They're the folks out there who are um, giving lots of money for for people to do uh, private space travel to the moon. You know, really fast solar vehicles, basically, basically, uh, incentive to to kind of create the future. Um, he is the co-founder of Planetary Resources. Speaking of the future, they're the people who are going out there and actually uh, mining asteroids. So, uh, incredibly interesting. Interesting, incredibly, incredibly busy, busy dude. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks so much to Peter for, for taking the time to sit down with us. Uh, hope you guys, uh, though brief, you know, I think, he, I think he opened up and said some, some really interesting stuff towards the end there. So hope, hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed doing the conversing. Uh, thanks to uh, Brian, as always, for editing together this episode of RIYL. Thanks to, to Mark and everybody else at the Boing Boing Podcast Network. Many, many pine, fine, uh, fine podcasts over there. Um, and also, it, it seems like every single week. I know I say this every single week, but it seems like every single week there's a, a brand new uh, podcast series for you to enjoy over there. You can find those over at boingboing.net. You can also find them over on iTunes. There's a really fancy pants iTunes page. Um, and while you're over there, you should take the time to rate the show if you enjoyed what you heard. Uh, and um, oh, uh, we've got a we've got a Tumblr. Uh, it's riylcast.tumblr.com. You will find this show hours, if not days, before you will find it over at Boing Boing. Uh, we've got an email address as well. That's riylcast at gmail.com. Uh, all, sorts of, all sorts of good shows line up. We will be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.